Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Now to Colorado and wildfires that destroyed as many as 1,000 homes and forced tens of thousands to evacuate. Satellite images show a housing development in the town of Superior. More than 100 homes were reduced to ash. Marissa Armas from our CBS Denver station, KCNC, is on the scene in Louisville, Colorado. A combination of hurricane force winds and wildfires left a trail of devastation across parts of Boulder County, Colorado. Wind gusts of more than 100 miles per hour fueled the flames, destroying everything in its path, including nearly 1,000 homes. There's ashes in the sky and fire in the ground. It's pretty scary. A scary scene at this Costco store shows shoppers evacuating into the store's parking lot engulfed in smoke. Close break, close break. Inside this Chuck E. Cheese, panicked parents and children rush for the exits as large clouds of smoke rush in, but struggle for a few seconds to get the doors opened due to the strong winds. Go, 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 go. They eventually made it out. God help us. This Colorado driver narrowly avoided running straight into flames on a highway. Firefighters tried to battle the massive flames, but it was moving too fast. The last 24 hours have been devastating. Today, Governor Jared Polis toured the area and described the fire as a disaster in fast motion. This is our community, and to watch it burn so quickly, so unexpectedly, uh, is something that I think we're all just struggling to believe and understand. Holy cow. More than 30,000 residents were directed to evacuate. As residents make their way to their neighborhoods, all that's left is complete devastation. The fire is believed to have started after high winds toppled power lines and transformers. Josh Mitchell's home was burned to the ground. He FaceTimed with his family to show them the devastation. We're all in it together. Um, glad that everybody's safe. And just, you know, it's a good time. We'll rebuild. And here's a look at another home that's completely gone. It's pretty much just a hole in the ground. The basement is filled with debris. One of the only things still standing is this fireplace. And just a couple of hours ago, it started snowing again. But you can say one day too late. Major? KCNC's Marissa Armas, thank you. Hello and welcome to episode 149 of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast production. This is also episode one of Big Mountains and Old Friends, my new travel podcast where I reclaim my former life as a ski bomb. I never quite thought these two series would have a crossover, but you never know what's going to happen. So the first few hours of my trip were riddled with anxiety. I am an admitted terrible traveler when it comes to leaving the house. In fact, I would say that uh, I've become too much of a homebody. And these past few years have been tough because everybody's been forced to stay at home. But now that I've forced myself out of my comfort zone, it's been quite a shock to my system. And I'd love to sit here and say that I've Never had a problem throwing my gear in my car and leaving town, but of course I'd be lying to you. And I don't know if this is too much information, but I feel that I feel better when I hear about other people's struggles with things such as travel or panic attacks or anxiety. So, um, you know, I will test that I've lived a life of paralysis by analysis and probably for way too long. 
And this has been a major problem, really, since my dad passed away from cancer about a decade ago, or a dozen years ago, I should say. And, of course, I felt that if I left town, something catastrophic could occur. And, you know, that's magical thinking, as my therapist would say. But in my case, or in this particular case, my 103-year-old grandmother was just put into hospice. So now I have to worry about that. And... uh that's a concern, but uh, I can always jump on a plane and head home. So in this case, uh, again, like I had anxiety at the hotel that I stayed in on my way to Denver, and this was in Acne, Iowa, and I can't even tell you why, other than the fact that I was in a weird place in the middle of the country. And again, the next day, before I even made my final leg to Denver, it took me another 45 minutes just to get my, out the door. And I was, again, at a hotel in the middle of nowhere. Why would I be anxious? I should have just been able to get in the car and go. But whatever. That's just some sweet stuff that I deal with. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I believe in better help. You know, I betterhelp.com is one of my sponsors. And I think that they're really helpful and having an affordable way to get mental health help is uh it's an option so you know my therapist would say that when you put yourself out there like i have you're destined to feel like crap and well the first couple days i did but now i feel pretty good but what happened is i come into denver and then the next day my first full day in denver we actually, my buddy Rob and I, we had to go and pick up his truck. And it was blowing really hard that day. It was blowing about 100. <laughs> and I, if you think I'm exaggerating, look up the the wind speeds from December 30th in Boulder County. Uh, this is the winds that come off the Rockies. And needless to say, we talked about how they can be very dangerous, and they can be very dangerous if a wildfire happened, because apparently Denver had been in a major drought like most of the West, and everything was really dry. So we're driving, and, you know, we see this big plume of smoke, and it's like, what is that? And Rob's like, oh, that's a wildfire, and so that was pretty interesting, and, uh, you know, I, I'd like to say that I was, um, you know, first I'd like to say that, you know, the thoughts and prayers are, are out there for everybody that was tragically impacted by that fire in Boulder, um, but again, you know, a thousand homes were lost, a Target, a Tesla repair center, um, Rob's truck was stuck in the middle of the fire zone. So as we were going to pick it up, it became very difficult to get to where we were going. So what ended up happening is we got caught in the middle of the storm. The fire storm is what they called it. And it was intense. And the videos that I took because Rob was driving... I took videos and they're all up on my YouTube channel under Slow Burn Media Podcasts. 
and it pretty much shows the tale of what we went through. And uh, there's a couple sections in this episode where I played the audio from that day because it really was that intense. And I actually, you know, had less anxiety in that situation than I did sitting in my hotel room or before I even left. So it's just weird, man. And I hate that I am sharing this, but I like to share this kind of stuff because people, again, it's important to know what other people go through. And there's a lot of people that go through anxiety-riddled situations and don't talk about it. So I'd rather lay it out there and just let you know that not everybody is, you know, it's not easy for everybody. <laughs> Let's just say that. And even when you want to go do what you're doing, and that is going skiing, for me, in this situation, it is tough. So all I can say is to anybody out there who hasn't gotten help for any issues that they're having, you know, check out your resources and see what's available. Again, betterhelp.com is a good resource uh, if you don't want to go through um, you know, the traditional routes of acquiring a therapist. So again, this isn't a promo for BetterHelp that will come later in the episode, but I uh, just wanted to say that it was an experience that was unlike any other, and um, I figured on this week's episode we would be able to sit down and talk with the one person that was with me on that particular day. So on this week's episode, as I said, we are going to be talking about the Boulder Fire, and there's no better person to talk to about it than the person that I was with during this uh, wild and crazy experience, and also one of my best friends, and also the guy who I went skiing with this week, and is kind of letting me use his house as the uh, podcast studio for the road, so... I would like to welcome to the show, uh, Rob. Welcome to Who Killed and Big Mountains and Old Friends. Good to be here, Bill. My first time on a podcast. Am I doing it right? I got a drink in my hand. You're doing, you're doing it right. All Cheers. Right. Let me crack one myself. So what are we talking about? We're talking about something that we kind of got ourselves into the other day, and that was what's something that turned out to be historic, actually, because it was... Uh, Turned out to be the biggest wildfire in Colorado history. And how did we get in that situation, Rob? Well, Bill, um, yeah, the Marshall Fire, as it's now known, I think has been the most destructive. I think fire, maybe not square area. Up in the mountains, it definitely gets a lot wider. But we drove around the fire as it was happening. And I'd say Bill got out in the nick of time, wouldn't you? Uh, I mean, when we look at the list of all the destroyed homes, and unfortunately, there were so many, and obviously our thoughts are with those people, and it was crazy. I mean, I think you said, look up if see if St. Andrew's Lane was on there, and we had driven just down that street prior to the fire scene, people collecting trash, and, you know, I mean, it was blowing. The big reason that the fire was so bad, and I think that this kind of gets lost, I and mean, People didn't even realize this when I was telling them. It was blowing 80 to 100. I mean, we were just talking to your neighbors, and they were like, wow, that, you know, that's crazy. And it, it's a, it, it was really wild because it was kind of like you predicted it to a, to a degree. Yeah. 
you had said as we were leaving um, that when conditions get like this and the fact that it was so dry that these were really bad wildfire conditions. And I I remember driving in, I came in on Wednesday night of the, I don't know, what was that, the 29th? And so, you know, it, I saw the fire sign that said extreme danger and I just kind of thought to myself, oh, really? And then didn't realize how bad it was, how how big of a drought Denver had been in. Oh, yeah. So give me a, a little example of what the weather's been like for the last, you know, six months. Well, let's. I'll even go back farther because in Golden, Colorado, where I live, which is home of Coors Brewery and now a bunch of better ones, it's one of the windiest places around because across the street from me, right, half a mile away is the start... <laughs> of the Rocky Mountains. So to my west, the Rocky Mountains begin, and when the winds come from the west, essentially the Rocky Mountains end. And that wind pelts us really bad, so much so that about 10 miles north of here, uh, there is a wind turbine training center where the guys that build those wind turbines learn uh, to do so because it's constantly windy. So it's definitely dry here, Bill. This is not the Midwest where we grew up. And fire danger is something we've had to contend with, but we've always kind of thought it was up in the mountains, right? Not down here. I'm on what's called the front range. And so when we woke up the other day and we saw the wind, I said to you, oh man, this is not good. This is potential for fire. Um, And we got in our car and headed north. And sure enough, what, 15 minutes later, we we started suspecting we were seeing smoke? Yeah. I mean, I know that like we were standing outside. I was standing outside before you had come out. Because you had gotten in late the night before. And so, basically, I was watching these dust tornadoes at the horse ranch nearby. And it was just really, it was really wild. I mean, just, like, dust tornadoes. And, I mean, it was blowing hard. And we could tell. So, we kept looking and we're like, oh, that that looks like a dust storm. And then, uh, it's like, oh, wait, that's not a dust storm. That's probably a fire. Right. And of course, at this time, we're driving across what I've learned was the Rocky Flats. And what are the Rocky Flats, Rob? Oh, man. Well, that's for another whole podcast. But, but give them a little. Give them a little. I don't know. The The fire emanated right outside of one of the largest Superfund sites in American history where the FBI raided uh, the Department of Energy to f- discover that nuclear waste was being... Um, not stored correctly, you know, I don't know, 15 miles from my house uh, where people I know grew up. So it's a weird area and it's windy as hell, as we mentioned. And that's what also caused Rocky Flats to be scary because it blew the nuclear waste everywhere. But that's for another time, Bill. Yeah, that's for another time. But it was interesting information as we're traveling and watching the smoke build. And we get to the corner of what was that? What was the intersection? Yeah, so. I can tell us that Highway 93 goes from Golden to Boulder, and it literally parallels the start of the mountains. So it's blasted by wind and the intersection of El Dorado Canyon. And as we were there, we noticed in the trees up to our right, so to our east, were blowing insane, by the way, with 100-mile-an-hour winds. We saw the tops of those trees on fire. I said, holy shit, Bill, look, that's, that's fire up there. And at that point, our spidey senses went off. And right there, I noticed ahead of us on the intersection, this property that 
is known to be, I don't want to call it a hippie commune, but I think it has something to do with the seven tribes group. It's a group that's kind of known to be, I don't know, earthy, hippie, whatever. Um, probably a lot of drugs. Maybe go visit later. Uh, you know. Um, anyways, we noticed a building on fire. There was a smoldering shed, like one of those wooden sheds, and it was getting covered up by dirt by a backhoe. And you and I were like, what the? And it seemed to me that the owners of the property realized this building, this outbuilding was on fire and they were actively trying to put it out. And as we started passing it, I don't know if you saw, but I saw the fire department show up and they got out of their car. They were literally putting their jackets on as they like engaged with the homeowner, or the property guy. I literally think, Bill, because nothing was on fire west of there. That might be the start of the fire, and it blew into those treetops a quarter mile to the east. And since then, we've discovered, because we drove past there again today, that property is now surrounded by a chain-link fence. And what did we see? Boulder County Sheriff. Yes. That might be the source of the fire, but of course, they haven't said that yet. So that kind of really got us interested about what the hell's going on here. Yeah, I mean, when you see that there's been a search warrant you know, it initiated again, you don't want to speculate too much, but again, this is one of those things that you see as a fire bugs dream day. Like this was dry conditions, unprecedented winds, to be honest with you. And again, like I said, there were some gusts that were recorded at 115 miles per hour. And that was in the Rocky flats that we were driving up. And it was there also before we even got to the section where we could see the fire. There were there was a camper that had been blown over. There was a semi that had blown over. Right. The road was closed. The road was already closed. So we were already being detoured around. And that's kind of like how we got there. And then we ended up, we just went to the mountaineering shop. Give your shout, shout out to your shop. That's uh, Neptune Mountaineering in Boulder. A beautiful store with some really cool uh, historical items in there and great gear. But, uh, yeah, basically the employees were standing there with their cell phones taking pictures of the smoke. And But by the time we had gotten into the, you know, we knew the fire was there, and Rob made the proclamation that it was just a grassy area. But right. the problem was that it was a grassy area, and that is how the grass fire, it was a grass fire that started it. But the fact that it was blowing so hard right, so made added it fuel added. Well, that yeah, that added fuel and the dry conditions. Right. So what you get is, you know, flying embers and then you get a situation where the fire department cannot do anything about it. Right. So we leave Neptune Mar Mountaineering to go get your truck that you could have. Oh, Jesus, Bill. I got in at midnight at the airport and. From a trip to Florida and realized I did not read the schedule right and had no form of public transportation back to Golden. I wasn't about to pay a hundred bucks for an Uber. So I took the train to downtown and then fifty bucks for an Uber. So I think it was three AM by the time I rolled in and said, Fuck it, I'll get my truck in the morning. So that's right, we were on our way to get my truck. And when that fire really started ramping up after we left the mountaineering shop, I realized where the smoke was blowing was where my truck was parked. And I didn't really say this to you, but I started thinking, oh, crap, we might have a problem here. So you and I 
took a back road for those that know the area. We went north to Boulder over to US 36, which is a highway from Boulder to Denver. But we were blocked because cars were being exited off the on-ramp. That was the first sign that things were not going to go in the direction of positive for our adventure to get your truck. Absolutely. And basically, I want to play this clip and we'll just see if the audio is good enough and uh, if you can make it out. But this was uh, this was us before we actually entered the fire zone. Fire bill. It's not a big deal. Just driving through a wildfire. You wanted to come out west. It's just driving through a wildfire. Yeah. I don't know. This, this, this doesn't seem very smart. Uh, well, it smells good. Um, oh boy. Is this really smart? Sure, it's just smoke. Yeah. Well, people still going to the bank. Gotta get your money. Oh Apparently my god. It doesn't stop people from going to the grocery store. Nah. It does wow. smell good though. I feel, I feel terrible I hearing that, Bill. Shit. Knowing what happened after a couple dudes from Golden were just driving around knowing that that was the beginning of the worst wildfire in Colorado. It sounds like we shouldn't have been there, and in hindsight, we shouldn't have been, but maybe your listeners need to realize how quickly this happened. It it, it literally came on us within minutes. After leaving the shop, I'm not kidding, we left the shop, and we it was probably within... 15 within 15 okay 15 within 15 minutes we knew things were really bad i mean you could see the smoke pillowing to the sky i mean it was you could see this for for a very long distance i mean it was a very bright sunny day and this was just crazy because um you know we're we're sta- we're sitting there and all of a sudden you're basically being directed in one direction. We should also mention, Bill, because your listeners are wondering, well, why'd they drive through it? So Yeah, we're not stupid. Where we saw the fire start, right, at that little outbuilding that was getting covered by the backhoe after trying to put it out, I would say was six, six miles, five to six miles west of where we ended up, okay? Five to six miles away makes you one think, oh, we're fine. Maybe there, maybe there's smoke and it'll blow over our heads is what I was thinking. Or maybe there's smoke and it's light. What we weren't expecting was to get pelted by ash and debris on a residential road sitting at a traffic light. And at one point, Bill and I looked over and there was a bank and a bush was on fire. Oh, yeah, the fire. I mean, we could see the fire. It was within 20 feet of the car. Right, and that's when... It hit me that, oh boy, this isn't just wildfire smoke. This is a wildfire making its way towards us. Let's play that audio because that audio is crazy. Well, I'm not sure if you can see it, but, well, I'm pretty sure you can. The amount of debris flying, the amount of smoke. We are, oh, that is just rocks and trees pelting the car. Sirens everywhere. I mean, this is insane. Very scary. So at that point, traffic was starting to back up because emergency vehicles were, you know, cutting around everybody. And at that point, I said, Bill, get out your map. We got to get out of here. We're not getting my truck. Screw it. 
let's find some side roads. And sure enough, being that we both worked for the city, right? Growing up, we sure. knew that you could go around traffic jams. There's always, there's always a side road somewhere. And um, so we pulled up our map and we found the side road. What was it called? Saint, was it St. Andrews? Yeah. By, and, by the Coal Creek Golf Course? Yeah. So we turned down St. Andrews and immediately are just met with garbage everywhere. It was garbage day and people's 50 gallon garbage truck or cans, you know, those big things on wheels were blowing across the street and people were chasing down their trash. And I was like, Oh my God, these poor people, they're going to have so much trash to clean up tomorrow. I feel terrible. So we navigated those side roads and we got out, uh, back onto the main road. We did, you know, bypass, I'd say at least a five minute traffic jam. Um, that neighborhood upon the next day on looking at the map is completely gone. Every house that we passed, every garbage can that we uh, laughed at blowing down the street, I'm sure is gone. Um, and so at the time I didn't really realize we were in that much danger. Um, it was probably another hmm, two to three hours before that neighborhood was on fire fully. Uh, but everything in that neighborhood was gone. Yeah, it might it might not have been on fire at the time, but there was definitely fire encroaching. I don't know if it was two to three hours. I mean, I know that the fire it was uncontrollable. So, of course, the thing the houses closest to where the origin of the fire start you know began were the first to to go. But what was so crazy, you know, we were going through it, and you know, this is uh, while we're sitting in traffic and. You know, we're sitting by a grass field and we're at bumper to bumper traffic. And if one of these embers would have started this field and just, again, as, as we were saying, gusts of 100, but steady winds of 80. So if any of these fields would have caught fire that were near us, we would have all, not just me and Rob, but... The line of traffic. The line of traffic. <clears throat> you know, they say it was a miracle that there's only you know, a few people missing, but the fact that nobody in their cars were killed is shocking because we were, it felt a lot like those videos you see from people escaping wildfires in California. Oh yeah. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Let's take a minute to hear from this week's sponsor, BetterHelp.com. So we made it through 2021 and 2022 really isn't looking that much better, but there is now an easy way to get help if anything is holding you back or interfering with your happiness, and that's betterhelp.com. 
Now you can get help on your own time and at your own pace with BetterHelp Online Counseling. You can connect with a professional counselor in a private and safe online environment. And it's really convenient because a fluid world, it needs to be. All you have to do is schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus you can chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp is really there for you. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And my favorite thing is, for whatever reason you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time. They even have apps for your computer or smartphone, so they're never out of touch. So if you're suffering from anxiety or depression like I do, or other issues such as anger, stress, relationship stuff, grief, self-esteem, or whatever it may be, they literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. The thing that's really cool, too, is that it's affordable. And Who Killed listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash who. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help with them assess your needs and get you matched with the counselor you'll love. And again, 10% off betterhelp.com slash who. There's, I think the difference in California is those mountain communities and some, somewhat here in the West in Colorado is there's only one way in or one way out, some of these mountain communities, whereas we were in suburbia. Sure. So thankfully, smart people like us were able to go around, whereas so many people were just sitting there with their foot on the brake. Um, they did eventually change the traffic pattern from the area and require only vehicles to go one way. Much like in a hurricane, right? They let everybody go one way right, on the highway. Right, right, right. So that was good. Um, and then we emerged from the smoke, Bill. Well, and... yeah, I've got I've got that audio because that's okay. that's pretty great. Um, so this was we were at the corner. Think of we were past McCaslin at this point. I we were on Dillon Road. Yeah. Okay. So we're on, we're on Dillon, and then McCaslin was what we just listened to. And so this is us. Re- Basically, it was like exiting hell, to be honest with you. This is insanity. Look at the amount of embers flying through the air. Oh my goodness gracious. Okay, there's the light at the end of the tunnel. Wow. That's us coming out of the smoke, what basically. What a difference. Oh, my just, God. It was blue skies. It was bright blue skies. It was in Colorado, right? 300 days of sunshine a year. Holy shit. Told you we were going to drive through it. Good call. Wow. All right, we're safe. Well, let's, let's go back to then uh, what happened next, which was we didn't know what my truck, which was parked at the parking ride, because remember, I'm the guy who didn't know how to read a schedule, uh, I started thinking... <laughs> nor, nor wanted to pay the extra money to go get your car oh, no. at 3 in the morning. Screw that. <laughs> um, now, granted, I understand. You didn't want to drive 20 minutes back. I, oh, I, I yeah, get that. It was I, half get that. I get it. I get it. So we didn't know about my truck. And at that point, I said, you know, forget my truck. Like, there's people that are about to lose their homes. And we shouldn't forget the fact that there are 900-plus um, burned structures. Uh, that's hundreds of families with everything they own gone. Um, where I was were dozens of abandoned vehicles that made it, but those are people also wondering if their cars are burned up, right? That's a scary thought to start off 2022. 
So I don't want anyone thinking we're making light of this. We're just telling our story to provide some perspective about how quick these things can uh, catch you off guard. Yeah, and I think the the odd thing about it was that I have seen, you know, fires burning in Northern California on the sides of the road, fields, you know, not necessarily acreage, but like significant size fires, but nothing like this, you know, where we were in the middle of the danger zone. And again, we're not making light of the situation because it was scary. And I I like the fact that, you know, Mr. Confident over here, Rob, is saying, uh, yeah, well, I didn't want to tell you know, Billy this, but, uh, <laughs> uh, that's always comforting, but yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad he kept me at, uh, at ease, but I was actually the, the most ironic thing about it the about the whole thing is that I was more anxious about freaking leaving my house <laughs> to come on this trip than I was during the whole situation of being in the middle of the Marshall fire. And I just, I mean, Rob, have you ever experienced anything like that? Uh, no, for sure not. Um, living in the arid West, fire bans are a common thing. We respect them. Um, gosh, you you hear about other people. I I you know I definitely know people that have lost homes in wildfire. Our good friend Damien, his wife Beth, her dad's home was completely gone, also in suburbia, um, but down in Colorado Springs. So no, it's it's different. It makes me wonder a little bit about where where's the safest place to be right with climate change here and a changing ever more dry climate does it make sense to be living directly west of dry forests uh that haven't seen much moisture in the last couple of years i don't know where, where where are you gonna go this is a beautiful spot right i live here for the activities and the access and it's not like there's a lot of homes for sale so i don't know bill just thinking about it um Maybe be a little more prepared in case it ever happened, you know, a mile from me. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that everybody should take out of this is the fact that you read a lot of people saying, I was only able to grab this, I was only able to grab that. Yeah, and you always wonder, like, what, really? That's all you could grab? But I'll tell you what, when we were in the situation, I see why. Totally. It's just literally, their cops knock on your door. We saw cops going door to door. That's the one thing. They were everywhere doing this. You have two minutes. You got, and it's like, wait a minute, what? I have this file cabinet here, right? With all my important papers. Sure. Papers. Yeah. Not much for the credence. Uh, I'd carry this out, but that's like 50 pounds. And, you know, that's a heavy ass thing to carry out. When really all I need is a file. So, ah, let's not get into that. I just think we should mention that for those listening, it's I'm sure you can uh, donate if, to the victims of the Marshall Fire. I do have a, a colleague with whom I work who lost her entire home. She's got kids, dog, all that. They did find one of the cats. Um, so if you Google Marshall Fire, uh, I'm sure there's a, a dozen ways to support. Uh, I know they even have clothing drives going on. So um, consider that if you're listening to this and it's been a week or two since the fire. It's great that the federal government has jumped in right away. You know, I know that, you know, whatever, people can have different views on whatever. That's one thing. But when disasters happen, everybody needs to come together. And I think it's very important to, one, take note of what is important in your life. And, like, 
have a bag of all the things that you think are important to you. Uh, maybe not necessarily like your important papers and stuff like that, but like know where all that stuff is that you can get quickly. But have another bag that is like a go bag. Yeah. I mean, they talk about this kind of stuff in California. You know, you need to have stuff to be able to just go, okay, these are the essentials. Let's get the hell out of here because uh, guess what? It's blowing so hard that there is literally minutes to spare. And I know that a fire in suburbia in Denver at the end of December is absolutely insane. And to listen, this is another thing that we haven't talked about yet. And that is what we saw once we got out of the fire. So basically we are now at home and couldn't get Rob's truck. So Rob's truck is, in the middle of the fire zone and we attempted to try to get Rob's truck. But what happened when we did that? Yeah, that was the, <clears throat> the day after <clears throat> the fire. And I had, we really just wanted to know it was okay. Yeah. I wanted to know if it was okay. And by, by the way, we didn't mention it snowed six to eight inches. Uh, the evening of the fire, it literally put out probably some of the smaller fires. It was hours late how ironic is that? But so when we drove to my truck, Bill, it was covered with snow. We got within eye distance and we were going to exit the vehicle. But the National Guard got out of their Humvee and said, what are you doing? Why are you here? And didn't want to hear it. And I get it. Um, they cordoned off a entire city, essentially the city of Superior, Colorado. You were not allowed to go into. And me saying, help me, I need my truck, Right wasn't something I was going to do. I thankfully had your vehicle. I didn't have to work. I said, these guys are just following orders. Let's get out of here. So we left. And what do we try again? Three days later today. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, uh, it had been four days since the fire mm -hmm. and we decided to give it another go. And yep. of course, as we're approaching, uh, you're, you know, you're looking at your Apple Maps. At least I was looking at my Apple Maps, and that's was showing me that the road right around that area was completely closed. Right. So we did a little. Uh, Rob got out of the car and did a little walk to his truck, and uh, yeah, they can't stop a guy on foot, and it was safe. I felt to be in the area. It was a soft closure now, meaning if you lived there and had ID, they would let you in. So it wasn't like I was breaking federal, you know, law. But as I was walking in, I was walking past the Chuck E. Cheese and noticed the corner of the roof on uh, was gone. Definitely had some fire damage. I walked past uh, landscaping, right? Like, you know, tall grasses and rolling little 10-foot high hills all burned up. Um, I got to the park and ride, and I immediately slipped on my ass because there was a sheet of ice that I couldn't even see because of all the fire department water, I'm assuming, that they put on these structures to put them out, um, froze. So I about broke my ass. And when I got to my car... News to me. It was fine. Uh, yeah, it was fine. Um, covered in snow, but... But... The area around it had some burning on the ground, like some, you know, uh, small grass burned... Uh, and I immediately got on my hands and knees, looked under it to see if the underside was burnt. It wasn't. I started it, and of course, the smell. Uh -huh. I knew the smell would be like the worst campfire ever, but of course, this also had the smell of burnt plastic and maybe rubber. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, that I mean, <laughs> just driving through it the following day when we went to go try to get your car, that was I turned on the air. And it was like I just got blasted with campfire, oh, and yeah. it was it was definitely uh, one of those. I mean, when we went today, you could smell it when you got within a hundred feet of where everything was cordoned off. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it was really it was eerie, and again, all the national guard are there, and all the police have every single road blocked off. So I mean, this place is really locked down. And it's a, it's a lot to protect, you know, these stores that are damaged. And so people are there taking care of the, you know, the produce and all that stuff. Whatever could go bad. I don't know. And basically, when I left, I mean, I drove by the Tesla Repair Center. That was torched from the outside. It yeah, it's about half of that building was burned up. But there was a building right directly behind it that had completely burned to the ground. Mm -hmm. And that was the one that we drove by the day after, after all that snow and... Smoldering. Smoldering. Yeah, there, Still, were, there were flames in the basement. Yeah. We could see it. And it was crazy. So just the fact, the fact that, you know, we went through this experience. We're not trying to, you know say our experience was any different than anybody else's but we're just trying to share uh our thoughts about it and you know like we had mentioned before you can help by calling 1-800-621-3362 or you can go to www.disasterassistance.gov and again those are some of the ways that you can help out there's also the community foundation for for Boulder County, the Jewish Center, Mental Health Partners, Sister Carmen, and many more. So again, this is uh, one of those situations that we probably never would have talked about, except for the fact that we experienced kind of a life-changing event, and to see what kind of destruction that has had on these families and these homes, I just, I feel, all I can say is, you know, if you can donate, I understand times are tough, and uh, but if you can help, that'd be great. So, you have any uh, final thoughts on uh, the Marshall Fire? Uh, no, I mean it's just an interesting experience. One of those things I'll never forget the rest of my life. And two days later, Betty White died. Like, God bless you, twenty twenty one. Goodbye. Yeah, twenty twenty one can eat a dick but you yeah know, um, <laughs> seriously you know here we go 2022 and omicron's out there but no i'm not gonna let any of this get me down and I, I know the people that suffered loss are struggling right now but hopefully they'll be positive and persevere so we'll just see what the year brings bill denver strong man boulder strong i know all those people are uh you're gonna rely on a lot of help from the community and uh Again, this is just one of those things that uh, you never think you're going to find yourself in that type of situation. And wow, all I can say is it can really happen when you don't expect it. And we had even discussed it before this happened. So it just goes to show you that even when you try to do the right thing, you can end up in trouble. So just remember that the next time you go doing anything crazy. And... uh on that note, I am going to be 
heading up the mountains. So let's hope I don't do anything crazy. And uh, if you do, you know, just wear a helmet. Well, yes, I wear a helmet and, you know, all that good stuff. But the bottom line is if you can help, help and uh, donate. And uh, I appreciate you talking about this experience, Rob. I'm glad that this is your first podcast. Unfortunately, the topic is uh, pretty dour, but in the world of uh, true crime and uh, some of the stuff that I deal with, this is uh, this is interesting in a different way, but I hope that people will help. I will have a link to the websites on the show notes. And again, uh, thanks so much for Rob. Rob, thank you for coming on. Sweet. Thanks for having me, Bill. You got it, bro. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening to our experience in the Boulder Fire. Let's hope that uh, these missing people show up. And uh, if not, let's hope that this was not some case of a firebug playing with fire. So on that note, I will uh, catch up with you later. And uh, I appreciate Rob for taking me in for the month of January. One more thing before you guys head off to your other podcasts, and that is Nine News in Denver did an extensive report on what caused the Marshall Fire to be so incredibly dangerous and fast-moving. And I just also wanted to note, on the day that I have editing this episode, it is blowing 60 again here in Golden, Colorado. And again, fire danger is still high, even though there's snow on the ground. So everybody who can help, please do. Again, we've made that plea earlier in the show, but it is important. And I just want to make sure that everybody knows that these fires have ruined the lives of a lot of people. But they'll regroup, but they'll need a lot of help. So Again, donate to your local Red Cross or, uh, you know, there's definitely a bunch of websites on there. So you just Google how to help the Marshall fire victims and you can definitely find a way to do so. But listen to this about the fire and I'm not going to do my normal outro. This is just uh, donate if you can to, you know, the people in need. And like I had mentioned before with Rob... This is a very tragic event, and in this particular episode, we were just trying to convey our experience and remind everybody that there are a lot of people that need to be rebuilt, and that's physically, emotionally, uh, everything that goes along with it. So listen to this news clip, Nine News. And it's really good, and it is very uh, informative on what caused the fire to be so dangerous. And it will help you be prepared in case you run into this situation in your life. So let's hope you don't, but better to be prepared. So thanks again for listening, and check out this little news clip from 9 News. Thanks. Its fuel is wind, and right around 11.20 a.m., there's a gust worthy of a strong hurricane recorded just west of Boulder, 102 miles an hour. Minutes later, 
four miles south of Boulder, the fire starts. Boulder Daily Camera reporter Mitchell Byers tweets, Grass fire near Marshall Road and Highway 93. The strong downslope winds push the fire away from the mountains and toward the town of Superior and its 13,000 residents. At 12.58 p.m., that town tweets, Evacuation order for all residents. Shoppers flee the Costco as parents flee the nearby Chuck E. Cheese. But it's not just Superior that's in the path of this fire. By 1.30 p.m., it's jumped U.S. 36 and is west of Louisville and its 20,000 residents. A security camp captures its advance just west of McCaslin Boulevard. 2.17 p.m., Louisville evacuates. At this point, it's unstoppable thanks to that atmospheric fuel. At 2.25 p.m., the Weather Service reports a 108-mile-an-hour gust near the fire. Neighborhoods and houses fall one by one by one. Among the most heavily damaged spots, a Louisville neighborhood just south of Harper Lake, another Louisville neighborhood just north of Avista Adventist Hospital, and rows and rows of homes just west of the Superior Target. In all, hundreds of homes are gone. Homes owned by people who never envisioned something like this was even possible. A fire unlike any in the history of the state of Colorado. Something is introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.